Hello. <laughs> it's lovely to see so many guests here. Um, so I, my name's Emily, and I'm an ordinand here. It means I'm training for ordination in the Church of England. And so I'm carrying on the series that Jess kicked off for us last week. And she mentioned a book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. But she did crack a funny joke, which was actually it's a normal guide for simple people. Um, and so it, it's based around... Um, an acronym for pray. And we, I don't know about you, I think we love an acronym, especially in, in the church. We, we have an acronym for many things. Um, but I mean a good acronym. They, they can be really helpful. Um, and uh, they help us to remember difficult concepts uh, or the important steps for things. So if, has anyone here done a first aid course? So if I said, Dr. ABC, can anyone shout out what, what D-R-A-B-C stands for? Like, <laughs> uh, we, we, some of us remembered bits of it. So D-R, danger, response, airways, breathing, and circulation. Um, but there's also, there can be some really unhelpful acronyms. I have slides for this. So the first one we have, in the case of a fire, panic. I mean, who came up with this? Um, so it has different things leading off the, the, each letter. I can't actually see them from here. Uh, but it says, in the case of a fire, panic, remain calm. I mean... That is, like, very, very unhelpful. Um, the next one, I mean, it's not such a... It, it says karate. And then it just says kids, adults, real, anti-abduction. And then it, it doesn't say anything for tea. It just has a sort of picture of, like, a karate move. And I don't even think that begins with a T, that, that move. I did Google it. It doesn't begin with a T. And then everyone... Um, and then, and then, we have um, the classic, oh no, we have this one, we have smart, but it's not quite so smart, you see. Um, salad, uh, it, it, it doesn't, so the first, the first, the S, I can't even read it, I don't, I, oh no, I've got a copy here. So here we go, it says, S, produce is grown in Georgia. There's no S in that sentence. M, fresh quality produce. A, choice of salads. I mean, that could work, a choice of salads. R, choices of toppings. T, it's healthy for you. Oh, my goodness. It's so easy. It could have just said salad produced, salad pr produce grown in Georgia. Market fresh quality. A choice of salads. A, an amazing choice of toppings. Try it. It's healthy for you. It's so easy. Actually, it took me three days to come up with that. So maybe it's not actually that easy. Um, and then we do have a classic church fail. <laughs> WTF. It stands for worship teaching and friends. I don't know what you guys thought it stood for. Maybe you had it wrong all this time. Worship teaching and friends, guys. And for this reason alone, you need young people in your congregation. 
for, if nothing else, take a photo of it and then put it on the internet forever. Um, but thankfully, Pete Gregg's book uses an acronym for pray and it is not a fail. Um, he takes the word pray and helps us to learn um, how to pray. And for the rest of the series, we're going to be working through those letters. So we have um, P-R-A-Y. Praise, no, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And some may recognize this from Lectio 365. It's an app that I mentioned last week. Um, and it's such an easy way to get into a new rhythm of prayer. And actually, there's this fine line sometimes if you're undisciplined like me, very good at forming bad habits and not quite so good at forming good habits. Um, we have to work at creating rhythms of life or joining in with rhythms, rhythms of life like Lectio 365 to help us form good habits. So on, um, oh, sorry. on page 28 of, of Pete's book, he helpfully gives um, a brief overview of the rhythm of his daily um, prayer life. I'm not going to go through that now, but his advice is to make it easy and enjoyable because actually, if, if you think, oh, well, I've got to get up at 3 a.m. and pray for three hours, for most of us, that's neither easy or enjoyable. And to form good habits, we need to stick at it. And, and they say, if you do something for two months, you can form a, a lifelong habit. But we don't want to fall into a religious trap of thinking we've got to do it to be a better Christian. What motivates us is love. It's not fear. Christian prayer is relational. It's, it's a desire to pray that's not fear-driven. It's not, if I don't do this, then something bad will happen. It's love-driven. We love spending time with God. And we are utterly loved by God. We grow, we heal, we hear, we're restored and transformed. But if we get the balance wrong, we either don't pray for days or weeks, or, um, or on the flip side, we feel like if we don't pray, we're not good enough. And in different seasons, we can flip-flop between these, and sometimes we're actually, we can actually be bossing it at prayer, and, and we're doing it really well, um, and we're in this sort of good prayer groove. And we need to be moving towards less of the flip-flopping and, and more of the grooving. And... Um, God doesn't want religion, he wants relationship. Prayer is about a relationship with God. It comes out from that and it grows and forms our relationship with God. It's, it's like symbiosis, it's interdependency. Prayer isn't the end in itself. It's a means towards greater intimacy and deeper relationship. So Pete saying that prayer starts with a pause can actually feel like such a relief. The starting point of prayer is stopping. Pete writes in his book, it's come up on the stream, to start, we must stop. To move forward, we must pause. And the ways of God often turn things on their head. So a pause is temporary, to linger a break in a verse, a comma in a sentence, to take a breath. And we, we live in a culture of rush, don't we? 
productivity, deadlines, got to be on time, rush, 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 rush. Ah, don't know about anyone else. I was like that this morning, and then I was remembering what I'm preaching on and thinking, oh gosh, I really need to preach to myself here. Um, but Jesus took things slowly, didn't he? he? He was interested in relationships rather than getting to the next thing. And we've actually had a few years off rushing um, with the pandemic, and uh, many Christians managed to actually ruthlessly eliminate hurry in those past couple of years. Um, but I think the foot is definitely back on the accelerator again. I don't know if anyone else has felt this in our culture at the moment, that actually things are speeding up again. And uh, so what, what do we need to pause from? Social media, me, uh, your phone, uh, relentlessly checking the news, me again. Um, but what about you? When, when are your pause moments? Maybe in the gatherings like this on Sundays. Maybe the moments that we just linger in the presence of God. Maybe it's sitting on a bench, looking out at a view or walking. Or just when you take that deep breath and your shoulders drop and then you realize, gosh, I was so tense. And so this week, we'll be looking at the idea of pausing and going into the Bible to where it's written and what we can learn about from the pauses in Scripture. I forgot to tell, Je I think I told Jess to read it in the wrong, um, in the wrong version. Um, and so in other versions, in, in three different parts of uh, that psalm, there is, there is a word that is spoken, and it is selah. And that word is mentioned 74 times in the Bible, if you're interested, 71 in Psalms and three in Habakkuk. But it's, it, it means to, uh, to, to intentionally pause for reflection. And it may have been a musical term, but um, it has the same point in a, in a song or in written word, and it's to pause and wait, not to rush on to the next line or the next section, but to stop, to take a moment there a moment to invite God to speak, a moment for fresh revelation. So let's return to the reading of the psalm. Psalm 3 starts with a problem. David starts by naming his problem. And this psalm is a psalm of David when he fled his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. And there it is, that word, Selah. So the background, the background of this psalm is from 2 Samuel 15. Uh, none of the psalms are written in a vacuum. They were written, um, they were a, an expression of a part of somebody's story. They were like a poetic snapshot of what was happening or being observed. And Psalm 3, 3 is from the part of David's story um, that was a planned uh, takeover of leadership by his, his third son, Absalom. And Absalom was, was a highly charismatic person. He was clever and politically astute. He read the mood of the people at the time and made himself indispensable to them. So he managed to turn the hearts of his people, uh, of the people of God, away from David. He manipulated them to follow him and drew an army to himself. And there was this brief moment in time where it looked like he was triumphant. 
And so in Samuel, 2 Samuel 15, it says, A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the Israelites have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Get up, let us flee, or there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Hurry, or he will soon overtake us, and bring disaster down on us and attack the city with the edge of the sword. So this is a story of family breakdown, of betrayal, character assassination, threat of death, loss of position, loss of property, a lifestyle, having to flee. And this was the point that the psalm was written. David was fully aware of his situation. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. But he's also hearing other voices. Verse 2 says, many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. These people were David's former allies and friends saying this to him. Had they seen Absalom's rebellion and thought, oh, well, God's taken his blessing from David. Maybe they remembered David's past sins and thought, yep, he's getting what he deserved. And David didn't pretend this wasn't happening. He was really honest about what was going on. But he chose to press pause at that moment. He chose to wait for another perspective. So as those voices were saying, there's no help for you in God, he said, Selah. Sometimes in our situation, we hear voices that aren't the truth. But we can think that because we're hearing them and that they're loud, sometimes they're our own thoughts and wrong ways of thinking that were formed over years. And we can think it's the truth. Or maybe like David, it's the literal voices of people bringing discouragement. Are you in that situation now? What, what are the voices that you're hearing? Maybe it's God won't help you. This will never get better. It's always going to be like this. You aren't worthy of help. You're nothing. You're a failure. What are the voices that you need to press pause on to get a new perspective? A lot can happen in a pause. We think pause means stop, but it doesn't mean God stops. We need to stop. We need a reset moment. Selah is a reset moment. And so for David, this Selah enabled him to hear the still, small voice of God and put his trust in that. This time of pausing was strategic. It was a time to receive God's revelation and transformation of perspective. Pauses, pauses draw us closer to God. And they can be real times of clarity and paradigm shift bringing new ways of thinking, seeing, and doing. And look, here it is, in the pause, in that cellar, the truth that was in David was awakened. The pause allowed space for him to remember. And from out of that pause, he could speak the truth of who God is. And he was able to say, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he, he, he hears me from his holy hill. So despite what others were saying, 
That first Selah reminded David that it was God who was his shield. They had said, there's no help from God for you, but David now remembered God was his shield in this circumstance. And his circumstance meant that his kingly honor had been stripped away. He'd lost his high position, his power, his prestige, his wealth, his earthly glory. But David knew that God was his glory, the one who lifted his head. And Absalom had forced David to leave Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. But David knew he didn't need to be in Jerusalem to be heard by God. He didn't need to be in close proximity to the temple, that God could hear him anywhere. This helps us to know we don't have to go to a special place for God to hear us. Wherever we are and whatever our situation is, God can hear us. And then there is another Selah. He paused again, sitting in this remembered or even new revelation about the truth of who God is until it soaked him. It reformed his own thinking about himself and his situation. He didn't rush from that place of remembering who God is. There was more work to be done in him. That pause, that cellar, was an important place of cementing the truth. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. It is in stopping and remembering who God is, in stopping and knowing him in a new way that transforms our perspective and restores our sense of who we are. Our humanity is restored. We are restoried. We remember the narrative of God's, of our God-given story. So, 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 so much in a pause. And the psalm goes on now. This section is longer before the final Selah. This is the declaration of the truth as outworked in David's life. The truth he knows that just needed reawakening. He just needed reminding. He just needed that intimacy with God that was found in the pause, in the Selah, and it restored his sense of self. I lie down and sleep. I wake again for the Lord sustains me. I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people who've set themselves again, up against me all around. Rise up, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. I lie down and sleep. I wake again. He was able to sleep. So often in our worries and troubles, one of the first things to be affected is our sleep. Those tormenting 1 a.m. thoughts or worries, the palpitations, the 3 a.m. catastrophizing. His situation was one of real danger, but not for himself, for his loved ones and his city. But despite this, he was able to sleep. And despite this, he was able to trust the Lord. He is reassured of who God is, his promises, and who he himself is. He's able to say, I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people who've set themselves up against me, against me all around. He knew he couldn't get himself out of this situation, that deliverance belongs to the Lord. 
It was only God who could help him. He knew what God had done and what he would do. Arise, O Lord, save me. He trusted God to do what needed to be done. He was able to speak directly again um, to those lies that were spoken in verse two. There is no help for you in God. David was able to say, wrong, deliverance belongs to the Lord. There is help for me. And his final words in the psalm, may your blessing be on your people. He was able to extend blessing even to those who'd sided with Absalom. They were still God's people and his heart was for their good. He was not only concerned with himself, but the pause meant that he was able to think of others too. His situation didn't change, but having those selah, those pauses meant that his perspective changed in the light of knowing God. David paused at strategic times. When he was hearing lies about God, he pressed pause. And that pause enabled him to remember the truth about God's goodness, about his power to save, about him hearing and acting. And he paused again in this new or reminded revelation of who God is, his shield, his sovereign, still sovereign, still able to hear him despite David having to flee Jerusalem. And then the final Selah, his final pause at the end of the psalm, the reminder that before we rush back into the day to pause again, to sit again in the new way of thinking, don't rush away from revelation. Let it sink in deeply. Let it be fully transformative. Let God do the full work in you. And at this point in David's life, he was, he was quite an old, an, an old man. His faith was mature. It had been refined in the crucible of his lived experience. And his faith in God had grown in the trials and through his experience of seeing God move before. It comes out of this place of deep, intimate relationship with, with God. David was a man who knew how to pray in the highs and the lows. He was a man who had learned how to sell her. Starting a rhythm of prayer is a natural way of punctuating our day, our day with pauses. Starting with Selah. In Lectio 365, um, they say at the beginning of the prayer time, as I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. But then through the whole rhythm of prayer, there are times to pause again. We pray, we pause, we speak, we pause, we listen, we pause, we praise, we pause. Do you need to recenter your scattered senses on God this morning? Do you need a reset moment, a new perspective, fresh revelation, deeper intimacy? For many of us, we have to learn to quiet and center ourselves. It doesn't come easily. 
I naturally have a racing mind. It doesn't stop very easily. And I find practically lighting a candle and looking at the flame can just help to center me um, and keep me in the present. But for some this morning, you, you may well want someone else to draw alongside you. Maybe you need someone to speak God's words of truth over you. Maybe those unhelpful words that are going through your head, the thoughts, the voices, are too loud for you to silence them on your, on your own. Maybe your pause, your cellar moment, will be with someone of our prayer ministry team, prophesying the truth about who God is and who you are, about his plans and purposes for your life. Please come and let someone pray for you this morning. We're going to move into a time of sung worship. And the prayer ministry team will be here and at the back. Um, maybe you want prayer for healing this morning. Maybe you're unwell or in pain. Come and receive prayer. If you're unable to come forward for prayer, but you'd like someone to pray for you, please pop your hand up and we'll come to you. So let's take a cellar moment now. Let's spend some time just stopping and breathing and allowing God to meet us in the midst of